You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Tracking the Storm podcast. My name is Brandon Stanley at BWStanley26 on Twitter. And joining me, as always, Matthew Soma, a.k.a. Kane's Prospects, and Alex, a.k.a. Future Kane's. So in the last week, we have had lots of hockey because in every week this year, we are going to have lots of hockey. We had a... Pretty disappointing shootout loss to the Florida Panthers where the Canes came out absolutely on fire and then just kind of struggled the rest of the game. After the bed. Florida, Florida played really well, but the Canes definitely did not. And then we had a riveting shutout performance from Alex Nedeljkovic, the first shutout of his young NHL career against Tampa Bay. And then we had last night, we had... A very hungry, revenge-seeking Tampa Bay team come into Raleigh and, well, kind of impose their will. Um, they got to their game very, very early, had the Hurricanes on their heels, and they did what great teams do, and they just they smelled blood and kind of dominated. Um, the Hurricanes did give us a good pushback and prove that they can pretty much play with anybody, even when they really don't have their best stuff. But all in all... They fall four to two with the empty net goal at the end. <laughs> I mean, the one thing I'll say about last night to start off with is, I mean, as disappointing as it is, the Canes aren't going to shut out Tampa every game. Um, <laughs> Thought and, they might for a minute there. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're also not going to beat Tampa every game this this year. I mean, you're playing against them eight times. If you can even take four of those games against the other top team in your um, division this year, then that's huge because Tampa is coming off of a Stanley cup championship. And while they are missing a few pieces from last year's team, the biggest being Kucherov, like this is still largely the same team as it was whenever they won the cup, you know? So the fact that the Canes were able to not play their best hockey and still come away with basically what was a one goal loss plus an empty netter. I mean, that's impressive. You know, you, you played a terrible first period yet you come out of it winning one, nothing. And then you play pretty much the same for the rest of the game. And of course that's going to catch up to you eventually. And so, you know what, like I'm happy with that. I'm really happy with the team's performance um, both in front of Ned and I'm happy with Ned's performance as well. Like who knows if it's going to (laughs) mean like a damn thing in the context of, 
like this season, like if Ned's actually going to see more NHL starts because of that. I mean, Tampa Bay is obviously an elite team. Uh, they were strong. They kind of humbled the Hurricanes last night a little bit. Um, I mean, the Hurricanes obviously weren't at their best. But, I mean, let's be honest, Tampa Bay's forecheck last night was relentless. Uh, they were hounding us uh, in our own zone. You know, I think I think last night um, it was kind of – it kind of showcased how much Jake Gardner means to this group. For me, anyway, uh, the, the Hurricanes were really having trouble moving the puck out of their own zone and transitioning the puck up ice. A lot of turnovers at their own blue line. A lot of pucks up the wall to nobody. So I think I think last night really like really showed how much Jake Gardner benefits this group, especially as a puck mover. I think he's definitely that like their best guy in that regard. There. Um, on that note, though, I mean Jake Bean, another phenomenal uh, performance from him last night. He's up to five assists in his last five games since entering the lineup. Um, Brandon, what did you see from him last night? Uh, you happy with the progression? And do you think he stays in the lineup? I've always been high on Bean. And he just brings an element that the Hurricanes don't really have for me. Like, yeah, they've got offensive defensemen. They've got Dougie Hamilton, who is one of the best offensive defensemen in the entire NHL, even though he can't buy a goal right now. Um, but his... I just love watching him work the blue line, man. Like his footwork and the way he can just makes these quick little head fakes. He plays the opponent so well with his eyes. He's slick. He's slick. He's poised. But look, he just makes these little directional cuts and like you think he's going up the wall. So his point last night was where he was going down the wall, right? And just got the entire defense shifted that way. And then shipped this also pass back across the blue line for Anisha's shot. And then Jesper Foss bang home the rebound. All that room was created by these little subtleties in Jake Bean's game. And the way he can, if there's any football fans listening, elite quarterbacks know how to move defenders with their eyes. They'll be looking one way and have their shoulders positioned one way. And they'll have the entire defense shift that way. And all of a sudden there's a wide receiver wide open on the other side of the field. That's what Jake Bean reminds me of. He creates a ton of room out there. He's just smart as hell. And yeah. the Hurricanes don't really have that kind of quarterback. You know, that's the term that gets used for like a power play quarterback. You know, it's the same kind of idea. They're a general out there. A field general is what they call him in football. He's an ice general, I guess, in hockey. <laughs> I mean, like um, you have you have these types of players like, like Dougie Hamilton. Defenders can get drawn to him because of his shot. Um, or like, you know, Obviously not on our team, but Alex Ovechkin. Again, same thing. But with with Bean, I mean, you hear you hear the term putting the puck on a string, and that's typically when you know the player's really good at you know just deeks and dangles and whatever. Bean almost puts defenders on a string. Yeah. Like, it, and it's it's such a weird example, but he really kind of makes the defense, like the opposing defense, his puppet. <laughs> he says, "You're gonna go here." And you're going to go here, and then I'm just going to pass it where you guys aren't. And it, it's it's unique. It's something that doesn't exist with a lot of players, and that's why he's found so much success. And, I mean, yes, a few secondary assists, but you, you can't lie. The play starts with Jake Bean a Absolutely. lot of the time. And yeah. even when he's not even when he's not getting an assist, I mean, he's trying to score. I mean, you see, like, once he gets his wrist shot going, I really think that you could be talking about a late season, like, Calder push for him. I, I, I'm because of how face. good he I mean this is a player that already has five points in I think what eight games 
and five he has in the last a, five. Uh, yeah, but eight games over the season. Eight games over the yeah. season, yes. But I mean, and that's yeah, without power that, play time. That's yeah, much. exactly. Just started getting it. Not to and mention, he hasn't um, established his wrist shot, which is a whole. He has a really good. Game. Yeah, he has that sneaky little release. He doesn't take a lot of slap shots, but he knows how to get it through, and it's accurate. And he just rip whips one from the blue line. It's just because it goes top corner, and goalies have a ton of trouble picking it up. I agree. That's something to watch out for, for sure. Well, it's easy to see that he's getting comfortable now in the lineup. You know, sometimes you just need to run a game to see what you've got in a guy. And, you know, he's rode the bench for a lot this year. He hasn't played much with the AHL being delayed. Um, but, yeah, now you get him in the lineup. And, you know, you, you try him out with Hayden Fleury, you know, two of your young guys, two of your first-round picks, guys you bank your future on when drafting them. And I think they've complemented each other pretty damn well on defense I mean they haven't played huge minutes but they've held up well I mean I'll be the first to admit I don't think last night uh well Monday night's game particularly was Fleury's best overall but especially that first game against Tampa I mean man they were physical uh they they were feeding off each other they create together on the rush um you know Bean he's not the biggest guy he does have some physical limitations but uh, he battles defensively and I think him and him and Flurry actually complement each other really well. They both have good puck skills. They're both smart players. Um, not only now, but I think in the future as well, they could be a pretty good pairing in the NHL. I'd like to see some more reps there. But uh, how how do you guys feel about those two as a pairing so far? I actually I'm with you in that I think in the few years it'll be really really good. But I would almost consider going away from it right now. Just until it's been a weird season for Flurry. And I would like to see him get a little more opportunity to kind of get his confidence up. Um, he did not have his best game last night. I, and and being still, you know, he, he's definitely improving. He's getting there. But I, I would like to see him. I almost want to see him with like Pesci. Yeah. Like, I feel like that pairing would be so, so good. And, um, you and Flurry and Gardner was a decent pairing. Yeah, that 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 would be the other question. That if you put Bean with Pesci, it would leave you with a trio of uh, Gardner, Shea, and Hayden Flurry for the third pairing. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, Gardner and Shea sounds like an absolute disaster. And the pairing that they were using today at practice of Gardner and Jake Bean also kind of sounds like a yeah, bit of a, a, bit of a train wreck. A bit yeah. of a train wreck. So, I mean, you want Flurry on that pair, but here's the thing. Based on what I've seen from Brindamore, I tweeted this out today that it just doesn't seem like no matter how good or bad Brady Shea plays, and let's be honest, he's had some rough moments in recent games. Yeah, he did not I'm just, good last night. I'm not sure that Rod Brindamore is going to scratch him for anybody. I mean, he relies on him on the penalty kill. Uh, he plays him quite a lot of minutes. Um, I'm almost thinking it's the same kind of as the Joel Edmondson situation from last year when we're like, okay, we have guys playing better than Joel Edmondson, especially as the eye test showed us. But Joel Edmondson was always in there, whether it was over Trevor Van Riemsdyk or Hayden Fleury or whatever the case was last year. So it's a little bit of a tricky situation there. I think Gardner and Fleury might be the two to rotate. I mean, you can't take, take Jake Bean out right now with how he's played. Um so, yeah, they definitely have some decisions to make back there. I, I do like the thought of uh, Brett Pesci with Jake Bean as well. I think they can work well together. It'll let Jake Bean play to his strengths to not have to worry so much about the defensive side of the game. 
but yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta figure out how you're going to distribute the minutes. And I'm not sure at this point that Jake Bean is going to be a 20 minute guy right now under Rod Vindemore. Right. No. And I mean, yeah, I agree. Bean and Gardner ain't it. That's not a pairing that I want anything to do with. I don't love Especially that. Against Tampa Bay. I, just, I don't like it. And I, I mean, like if you try that out against like a Detroit, Sure. Right. Why the hell not? You know. Yeah. We still got <laughs> Try two out against Tampa. Nashville. Not. <laughs> you know, like fine. Um, against Tampa, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm thinking like, Bean and Flurry is fine because Flurry plays the body, and that's kind of some like he he they both complement each other well because Bean's obviously better offensively and can kind of carry the offensive side of the puck, whereas Flurry can kind of make up for beans not necessarily deficiencies in the defensive zone but definitely just lack of experience but i i think a player like pesci could really complement bean nicely because they play he plays with a bit more pace than flurry does and bean likes to play with pace but he also likes to control zone entries and everything and if if you really want the team to be dangerous in transition you split up jake gardner and jake bean yeah. Because Gardner is, well, was up until Bean, you know, emerged. He was the best defenseman on this team in transition, bar none. I mean, whether it's a zone entry, whether it's a a stretch pass, I mean, Gardner got the puck into the offensive zone, usually by means of something other than a dump-in. And, like... If you split those guys up, you have now two defensive pairings that can control the game in transition. I think that's huge. Is it going to be realistic? Probably not. I mean, I just... Whatever Rod Brendamore says is going to get done. I don't have any worries that, you know, the team is going to struggle because we put Jake Gardner and Jake Bean together. The other angle that you can look at this from is if, Jake Bean has earned a spot in the lineup, which at this point, I mean, it's been eight games and this run he's had now has been five games. He's not so he's out. still raw, but I mean, you can't be taking him out right now based on how he's played, which, no. which begs the question. You're going to, you have seven NHL defensemen right now and the guys you're going to be taking out for Jake Bean, specifically Brady Shea and Jake Gardner, you're paying a lot more than you're paying Jake Bean right now. So you have to start, eventually you're going to have to talk or, you know, at least mention the possibility of maybe does Jake Bean make Brady Shea or Jake Gardner expendable? One of the two. And for me, I know a lot of people, are going to say right off the bat, oh, you know, I think he makes Gardner expendable because they're both offensive guys and they're kind of similar players. But that's where I'd kind of, you know, disagree with, I I guess, the public public opinion there. Because, listen, I think Jake Bean, I think Jake Bean is more of, you know, he's very poised in the offensive zone. He makes a lot happen. Um, He's skilled. He can create offense, you know, with his, with his skating ability, you know, he can go around guys in the offensive zone. He does a lot of, of his damage from the offensive zone. Whereas Jake Gardner doesn't quite have that dynamic ability about him where he's going to, you know, he's going to undress a couple guys and just make like a phenomenal, a phenomenal no look pass or whatever. He's more of just a very cool, calm, collected distributor where, you know, he's kind of, he, he, 
he, he takes risks, but it's more about, you know, distributing it to the right option, especially as, as far as his running a power play goes. His puck movement is great from the back end. Um, he's just always making the smart play, which, you know, a, a lot of people won't agree with because, you know, they, they always, <laughs> they, they, no, they mention, you know, his pass there against, against Florida in overtime, right? That'll, that'll come up to, that'll come up in the discussion. Was it against Florida? It was against Florida. Yeah. When, yeah. When, when they went the other way on the breakaway and scored, but you know, if he makes that pass, Jake Gardner's a hero that game. Just sometimes it doesn't go, just doesn't go perfectly to plan for him, but he's very, he's very meticulous about what he's doing. Whereas I think Jake Bean is more of just, you know, give me the puck and let me handle it. Whereas Jake Gardner's kind of, you know, strategically plans things out. Um, where I would say I think Bean is a better replacement for Brady Shea. You guys might disagree with me here, but it's because I personally right now, I have no idea what Brady Shea's identity is. He was he was kind of sold to us as an offensive yeah. kind of a, an offensive defenseman when they acquired him. Um, he's got three assists this year in 17 games. I have not seen anything dynamic about him offensively. I mean, he kind of like he's a good skater. Obviously, there's no question about that. But he gets to whenever he gets to the dangerous areas, it's like he doesn't know what to do with the puck. And defensively, he also leaves a lot to be desired. You could say his awareness is very questionable. I have, I have, honestly, I have massive concerns with Shea on the defensive side. He's physical, but he 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 gets lost defensively a lot he's prone to turnovers. I mean, it's just, it's been a mess there lately. So I'm not really sure what Brady Shea's identity is. I think if you're going to move on from anybody, if that possibility ever arises, I would be more comfortable moving on from Shea, despite giving up the first round pick for him than Jake Gardner, because I just think Gardner's puck movement and that ability he has, especially in transition is more valuable to the team than whatever Shea's bringing right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Shea has really, really struggled. We, we've said that a couple times already. The big concern I have is as soon as we move one of these defensemen, somebody gets hurt, and then who are you bringing up? You're bringing up David Warsawski, Joey Keane. That's See, like, I, I, I don't know I'm who the next talking about um, in like the expansion draft. I don't think they're going to make any in-season trades uh, to move anybody out right now, but – it's going to come to the time at the expansion draft when you're going to have to move on from somebody. Yeah. Okay. So if we're talking about this from an expansion draft standpoint, you brought up a good point earlier. If the hurricanes were able to work something out with Francis and get stalled away with his no movement clause and then give Francis whatever to not take stall, then you get them to take a gardener or Shea preferably and get you some cap relief, but, and this is a point I brought up on this podcast before actually is what's it going to take to entice Ron Francis on something like that right now? <laughs> like, yeah. What kind of mood is he going to be in saying, Oh, I'm going to help the hurricanes out, or I could just have Hayden Fleury or Jake Bean. I mean, I'm still very like, I'm not quite 50, 50. Like I'm still leaning a little towards like, I think the team moves on from Shea just because I don't think he's a fit um, or at least he's not the fit that maybe we all envisioned he would be. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of play not necessarily devil's advocate here, but like, I want to, 
give reasons for maybe why the Canes would keep either player. I'll just bounce these ideas off of you guys here. So for on one hand, we got Jake Gardner. And nobody can see this, but I'm talking with my left hand. So just imagine. Um, so on one hand, you've got Jake Gardner, who is unquestionably the better fit offensively for this team. And his contract, I think he only has two years remaining after this year. And it's at least a million less in terms of AAV, if I'm not mistaken. Um. So you get the better offense. You get like a guy who can fill in on your power play, your second unit probably, or even your first unit if you really want to. I think Dougie and Gardner might not be a terrible pairing on the power play. Just the Canes have so many offensive weapons that I doubt it happens. And then on the other hand, so I got my right hand over here, you've got Brady Shea, who hasn't fit with the team, but he's definitely the more physical presence. And if you need to play Jake Bean with him, it's a pairing that worked because Shea kind of plays the body, which creates space for Bean. And, you know, you get that kind of gel going, I guess. And Shea can also play on his right side, which he has been for the majority of this season, I believe. Um, so, yes, he's making almost one and a quarter million dollars more. Then Jake Gardner is for the next, oh God, three years after this season. Yeah. But so the reasons like basically is like Gardner's better offensively and can fit on your power play. Shea plays the body and can play on the right side. And the Canes are a little light on right-handed defenseman right now. Again, I'm still leaning towards Shea, but there are reasons why the team would consider dropping either player in the expansion draft and be just fine. You know? Mm -hmm. Totally. It's like, I would much rather, even though Shea is four years younger than Gardner, I would much rather get rid of that contract right now because the Gardner contract, it's never going to be great at his money, but the way he's been playing lately, I mean, he's at least worth the $4 million we're paying him. He's never going to be worth that defensively, but he's going to make up for it offensively. And now that he has actually found a rhythm with the system, I think he'll be fine. Well, here's what I would counter with as well, because if you're talking about what Brady Shea is making, when you bring that into the equation, he's making like what, a little over $4 million. Um, 5.25. Yeah, so it's even more than I remembered. Yeah. So you take a look at his numbers here in in New York. He scored 39 points in his rookie season, followed that up with two 25-point seasons, and he had 23 uh, 23 points, eight goals, and 60 games last year before the trade to Carolina. Since coming to the Canes, he has four assists in 24 games. So Does that include playoffs? N- no, that does not include playoffs. Or he had two assists in eight games. He hasn't scored with the Hurricanes yet. Uh, in total, he would have six assists in 32 games. Ugh. So the offensive production is not there. You're paying a guy f- – you're not paying him $5 million for his defensive game because it's just not very good. And the thing that's troubling to me is that – pretty evident that Rod Brindamore doesn't trust Brady Shea as an offensive minded player. He's never played him on the, on the power play as much as I can remember. He's put Bean on the PP two now with Jay Gardner out of the lineup. And then last night 
in the fi- like final five minutes of the game when they're trying to tie the game up, I don't think Brady Shea's seen the ice. They, well, he also had a really bad turnover that led to the go-ahead goal. But so that Rod Brindamore good. had Jake Bean in his spot with Brett Pesci on the ice when you're trying to tie the game as well. And another thing on top of that is that Brady Shea, he doesn't even see he doesn't even see time in three-on-three overtime. Yeah. Rod Brindamore, he trusts Jacob Slevin and Brett Pesci in that situation right now more than he trusts Brady Shea. So I don't think you're ever going to get 5.25 million worth of production from him. That's a lot of money against your cap. He's not really contributing to that offensively, and I can't see how he will in his current role, especially at, when you when you take both their cap hits into play. I think Gardner is much more valuable for what he brings. Well, I, I think we're being a little bit hard on Shea, maybe. He, the Hurricanes don't really need him to put up a ton of points. Like you said, we have Dougie Hamilton, we have Jay Gardner, and we have Jake Bean. But I, I think up until this last couple of games, he had actually been pretty good defensively. Pretty good all over the ice. He was really good on the penalty kill. I, I think this is another thing that I mentioned when me and you got into it a little bit last week, talking about uh, Flurry coming out of the lineup. He's had, he's definitely had stretches of play where his skating ability, his shot blocking, he, he's brought m- multiple things to the table. And yes, the offense hasn't been there, but he's never really been an offensive defenseman that rookie season he had where he had 39 points everybody pretty much knew right then and there that was a little fluky like nobody ever said oh Brady Shea is going to be some elite offensive defenseman in this league even when he had that huge rookie year I think it's more you just need him to be kind of one of these steady minute munching defensemen when you have all the other players on our blue line that we have you know what i'm saying like yeah. his skating ability he's a really good skater and he he's pretty versatile i guess he can be used in many different roles but at the end of the day i'll still agree with you guys and for 5.25 million that's that's a lot of money to be paying a guy that's probably if you were actually to number it he's probably your fifth defenseman at best and if you if you maybe gave if he was making like the money Gardner's making, then I reconsider. Then I'm like, okay, I mean, $4 million for this. It's not great, but it's not bad either, you know? That's kind of how I'm feeling about Jake Gardner right now, you know? Like, it's a little steep still for what we're paying him, but it's fine. And, like, I think that Brady Shea could fit on this team if he was given a little bit more time to fully adjust to the system. Because when he was traded here, he got a couple games in, and then boom, pandemic. And then he gets put in the playoffs in the bubble. And then we pause and for, you know, another pretty long stretch. And so really this is his first like actual stretch of games with the team. And you've seen him kind of progress, but again, like, well, that's something we talked about the expansion draft coming up. Like, is it worth betting on three more years of this? If there's no getting, if there's no improvement, well, but that's the other thing is we've talked about that improvement has come with every defenseman. Jay Garner got here. Oh, my God, he's terrible. Get rid of him. And then he took a big step forward. Dougie Hamilton was not that great his first – the first half of his first year here. And then he turned into what he – you know, a Norris-level defenseman. All these guys take an adjustment period. You see it with pretty much every defenseman when they tr- change teams. Alex Petrangelo has not been that great for Vegas. 
when a defenseman goes to a new system, there is 100% an adjustment period, no matter how good the defenseman is, no matter how good the team is. Right. So yeah. it's still something that I'm sure Don Waddell and company are considering right now, trying to figure out what the next step is, trying to figure out what the plan for the expansion draft is. But for now, I, I think Shea is worth keeping around just to have that depth and this is a Stanley cup caliber team. You know, you need, you're going to need seven defensemen at least over the rest of the season. You know? And so, I mean, you know what, like, even if it doesn't work out, you know, like you lose him in expansion and you gave up a first round pick. And I think the Rangers drafted, I think Braden Schneider with that pick or something. I think it was LaPierre, wasn't it? That you know, was LaPierre the went to Washington. Yeah. 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 Went to um, Washington. It was Braden Schneider. Who's going to be a pain in the ass in a couple of years. And, but again, though, Braden Schneider is probably like a slightly better version of Hayden Flurry when all things are said and done. More physical. Yeah. So like fairly inconsequential. And also you got Seth freaking Jarvis in that draft. I'm not complaining about losing another first round pick, you know, like, yeah, you no, get- no, I, I totally agree with you. And just going back a little, the one counter argument I would make to, the both of you for saying, you know, that it takes a little time to adjust. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But the concerning thing for me is we've seen the exact same issues with Brady Shea, the same problems plague him that the Rangers and Rangers fans have been complaining about since he entered the NHL back in 2016. And I just think, I just think the issues with Brady Shea, mostly his, his hockey sense and his awareness of what's going on around him, um, I, I just think those things you'll never be able to correct. It's something you kind of either you have it or you don't. Kind of like Justin Falk was back in the day. You know, you can get a lot from him. It's just he's always going to be plagued with the same issues. And I don't think you'll ever be able to correct that stuff with him. Yeah, but I will say, though, Justin Falk is having a hell yeah. of a season. I was going to mention that. Maybe we talk a little about Justin Falk. Maybe you know, next time. Great, uh, great guy. You can't be like, time, boys. you can't not time. be happy for him. But just a quick shout out to Justin Falk because he is absolutely balling with the St. Louis Blues this year. He is having a fantastic season. You know what? That I'm going to say that if Justin Falk can bounce back after that bad of a season with the St. Louis Blues, anything is possible, man. Like, I'll, I'll accept it. I'll, that I'll accept was. That. He's got 55 hits in 19 games. Well, I, I was actually writing. I was actually writing about uh, Justin Falk. Uh, just a quick piece I'm working on. So just th- this is how good of a year he's had. He's got five goals and eight points in 19 games. Not crazy production by any means, but he's leading the St. Louis Blues in ice time, 24-30 per game, and he's playing on their second power play unit. He's not even manning their top unit right now. That's Tory Krug. He's leading the team in hits with 55. He's leading the team in penalty minutes with 13. He's gotten a fight. He's second on the team in block shots with 22, and he's third on the team in shots on goal with 50. Not to mention he's tied with another Hurricanes legend, Joel Edmondson, with a league-leading plus 16 rating. Justin <laughs> plus minus with a, is a plus rating. It's garbage, <laughs> but that that is noteworthy for, for Justin Falk, who is always hated on in Carolina for his plus minus rating, as bad of a stat as it is. For him to be leading the league, good on him. Good on him. So, I mean, speaking of decisions that are coming up for the team, um, you've got three goaltenders on expiring contracts this year, and one of them is coming off of his first career shutout. 
One of them is Peter Morazic, who, I mean, you kind of know what you have in him, you know. And the other one is James, Mr. Big Old Pumpkinhead himself, Reimer. What do you guys see the Canes doing in goal? And do they try and maybe make an upgrade in goal this year? And who do you see as the tandem moving forward if they don't? Okay, I'm going to start this off with my kind of with, – with my sale, I guess, for Ned. All right, hear me out because I think Nedeljkovic has been written off maybe a little bit too soon. You know, there's a lot of bus talk that's been surrounding him in the, in the Hurricanes fan base. You know, is this guy ever going to make it type thing? But if you dig a little deeper into this, and I went back and looked. So I took, I took a look at the 2014 draft, uh, the other goalies that were selected in that draft. Just to compare him to his peers and the other guys at his, in his age group, and how their transitions have gone to getting to the NHL. So from the 2014 draft, there was no goalie selected in the first round. In the second round, you had five guys taken. The first guy was Mason McDonald by the Calgary Flames. He was taken 34th overall. He's played five NHL, uh, five AHL games, sorry, at this point. And I was he's basically say, I've never heard of this guy. Yeah, he, he's basically <laughs> established himself as an ECHL level goalie, and he's not even playing there this year. So he's a complete write-off. So the first guy taken, X him off the list. 36th overall, right ahead of Nedeljkovic, you had Thatcher Demko. He's played 49 NHL games. Pretty highly thought of around the league. I mean, Vancouver moved on from Markstrom to give this guy a shot, but he's got a 905 career save percentage, and he's only played 49 games at this point. Then at 37, you have Nedeljkovic. He's played his 10 NHL games with a 909 save percentage, not to mention what he's done at the OHL and the AHL level. Hasn't really got a shot yet, so he's still kind of Jury's still out on him. At 39th overall, you had Washington take Vitek Vanesek, who has just emerged this year with Washington. He's unseated Ilya Simsonov as their starter, and he's played a grand total of 14 NHL games now with a 907 save percentage. And Ooh, Simsonov has struggled that bad. He is he's played two games this year with a I think an wow. 866 save percentage. Wow. So yeah, this Vanessa kid has taken over. Banachek's not a bad games. goalie. He gave the no. checkers hell um, when he was with Hershey. Yep. Taken two picks after Nedeljkovic in 2014, like I said, and he's played 14 games. So he's only broken in this year, kind of the same as Nedeljkovic. And later on in the second round, you had Brandon Halverson, who's just a complete write-off. He's played 13 minutes in the NHL, and he's basically an ECHL-level goalie. So I went beyond just the second round. I mean, the second round, you had Demko, Ned, and Vanessa, who – you know, that's three of the five, and they're all still kind of trying to establish themselves right now. Beyond that, you have, from the rest of the entire draft, you have Elvis Merzlikens, who was a third rounder, and you have Ilya Sorokin and Igor Shesterkin, who were in the fourth round of that draft. But neither of these guys, anybody, any goaltender selected in that draft has played over 50 games in the NHL. Merzlikens, Sorokin, and Shesterkin, yes, they have potential. Yes, they're billed to be, you know, good future NHL goalies, but they're still trying to figure it out at this level too. So I think the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, for all these guys in this draft, nobody from that class has really established themselves yet as a legitimate NHL goalie. All these guys are still trying to kind of figure it out and, you know, adjust to the game. They're only 25 now. Nadelkovic is 25 years old. And you, if you take a look at starting goalies in the NHL as a whole, there's not really that many guys that are 25 and have nailed down 
a starting role. I mean, Carter Hart is kind of an outlier in that sense. But overall, I just thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, Nedeljkovic gets kind of a lot of grief and a lot of fans aren't sold on him at all, which I guess is fair. But from that draft class as a whole, none of these guys have really established themselves yet. So that makes me kind of feel a little better overall about where Ned's at right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel bad about where Ned's at. I, I think he, he has, um, other than the one mistake in the Florida game, which ended up being a pretty big mistake on the uh, third goal that ended up sending the game to overtime, like he's looked pretty good. I legitimately thought that the Florida game was one of Ned's best games up until that moment. And then you get the Tampa game. And obviously that was the first game. um, I think Corey Lavalette tweeted this where it's the first game where he had truly seen Ned steal the show and be the goalie that we drafted him to be. And it's true. And it's because you've actually seen him not necessarily string together some starts, but he's getting at least somewhat consistent NHL minutes now. And you know what you have in James Reimer. And yes, like when Morazic comes back, Reimer's probably the better backup goalie. But what do you do with Ned at this point? Because, I mean, he's clearly playing well. He's doing his job for the most part. And, like, I don't know. I, I can't see the team keeping Reimer past this year. And I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is, like, you're paying your backup goalie $3.4 million, which is more than your actual starter is making. And... Honestly, the, do you guys see the Canes maybe keeping one of these guys, like like a Reimer or a, or a Nedeljkovic, and maybe moving on from Morazic for something, for like a bona fide NHL starter? Well, that's what I was going to say is I, Reimer's not going to be here next year. Really? Um, he'll be 33 years old, and I, I, I just don't, I don't see that as a good fit for the team moving forward. That's just me. Um I think Nedeljkovic is back next year. I expect Mrazek to be as well. I, I think that'll be the tandem, Mrazek and Nedeljkovic. Really? Unless they find a legitimate upgrade. What's out there this offseason? I, I honestly can't say. I've looked for nothing whatsoever. So, okay. it's very so I brought up, I brought up, what are you um, going to do? Like, are you, you going to force a trade or something? I guess you might have to overpay a little bit. Um, or... You could stick with Mrazek, who, as long as he comes back and proves no long-term effects, lingering effects from the wrist injury, and if he can pick up where he left off, especially if he finishes out the year hot, I highly, highly doubt. As much as the fan base loves him, as much as the team seems to love him, I think Mrazek and Nedeljkovic is probably the move next year. But that's not, you see, like how much the fans are going to love him doesn't matter to Tom Dundon. going to be honest. Like, yes, it's important to have the players like, or have the team and the fans like the player. I think you're going to have to go out. And if you do acquire a player, like, and you have the option to maybe get somebody better than Morazic, you say goodbye to that guy. And the team's going to make sure that they get a player who's likable. You know, he's not going to be a Peter Morazic type person, but if the Hurricanes are presented with an opportunity to upgrade, they have proven time and time again that they will, no matter what. So it's I'm not, not going to matter. Whatsoever. I never. I, obviously, yeah. if there's something better out there, I'm not sure. But 
And like, maybe do you, do you, because if, if you go out and acquire a starter, there's no way you can convince Morazic to stay here while only promising him 20, 30 starts, you know? Sure. That's not realistic. So that's why I'm maybe thinking, like, maybe you do keep Ned. Like maybe, I think, so. I think so. Maybe maybe you keep Ned. Maybe you keep Reimer for another year because I mean, he's shown that when he's a backup, like an actual backup goalie, he's good. I he's guess also that's where stuck he's is like, down, it's like what do the Canes do? Like if they do acquire a goalie, it's more than likely going to be via trade. And as much as I want them to do that at the deadline, I doubt any team is going to trade their starting goalie at the deadline, unless you're super desperate. And the only team I can think that would maybe do it is Anaheim with Gibson, just because I think I've heard that rumored somewhere. I forget who said, somebody said it. Uh, yeah, I'm cool with that. But I yeah, think, I mean, like I think another situation to watch is Columbus. Um, before the expansion draft, they're going to have to make a decision maybe on, Jonas Corpusalo or Elvis Merzlikens, not to mention that I think they're both pending unrestricted free agents after the season, so the summer of 2022. But, I mean, you obviously can't protect both of them in the expansion draft. Um, I think they're actually both probably an upgrade on what we have here now. Are they, though? I mean, Merzlikens yeah, is a little raw, really? but, I mean, I he's a little raw, but I think Corpusalo has proven himself at this level. Would they want to move him or Merzlikens? I'm not really sure. If you include this year, Corpusello has had a save percentage under 93 the last four years. Because I was going to say, like, Corpusello to me is washed. Like, I, I don't think – I think the reason why his name popped up in trade rumors over the offseason is because Columbus knows that he's not the answer. Okay, let, let, let me go a little off course here with the goaltending discussion. Um, there's been a kid who's emerged now with the Chicago Wolves by the name of Beck Warm. <laughs> He's got a 1.67 He's on a hot streak right now. And a 9.58 save percentage for the <laughs> Chicago Wolves. He so, is warm. 21 years old. Still a very young kid. Um, first thing I notice about him when I look at his uh, chart here on HockeyDB is he's very undersized. He's six foot, 170 pounds. Yep. Um, so he's Nedeljkovic size. He's very undersized, which is why he went undrafted. Um his numbers in the WHL weren't great either. He had a 915 last year, but elite name, Beck Warm. I mean, that <laughs> that name is worth taking a shot on uh, in itself. What have you guys seen from him? Do you think there's any chance he can earn an entry-level deal or, you know, maybe work his way into the picture here? Um, What is there to lose is my take. Like, what do the Hurricanes really have that's stopping them and saying, oh, he's going to take starts away from Jeremy Helmig? What do they like have to gain anyway. at the same time? That, Goalie development is random as hell. Exactly. That's what they have to gain. Who the hell knows who the next goalie is going to be? How many goalies make it to the NHL when they don't get drafted or seventh-round picks? Shesterkin and Sorokin are two of the best you know, young goalies in the league right now. We just said they're what? or Well, most highly thought of. I guess we can't really say they're the best young goalies yet. Shesterkin maybe. Sorokin not really yet. But, you know, how much hype has there been for Sorokin to come over for years? And those guys were both, what, fourth-round picks? So, I mean, if you want to give him a deal and keep him in the AHL, pay him a few hundred K, I mean, I I don't see any reason really not to. I know I'm concerned by the size, too. That was the first thing I noticed as well. He's not a big guy. 
but he was, he's athletic and he battles super hard. I was watching that game and I was impressed, you know, he had, um, I can't remember exactly which game it was now that I'm trying to, of course. Was it the game against Iowa? No, I don't know. It it was, it was probably a couple weeks ago by now. Well, I mean, we definitely need to see a little more from him. I think it was his first game, and he allowed a goal or two on, like, 40-something shots. He was just under siege. And, I mean, just diving all over the place, making acrobatic save after acrobatic save. He was fantastic. So, I mean, I'm sure the Hurricanes are monitoring it. Hell, he's in He's in their organization. He's playing for their affiliate right now. And if they think it's worth it, I'd, I'd see no reason why not to give him an entry-level deal. I mean, we're talking about a three-game sample size right yeah. now. That's, 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 that's the, the biggest thing. That, yeah. Not to mention that – you know, it's very obviously a very good team in front of them. Even Jeremy Helvig, uh, he's got a three and O record, same as a uh, warm Beck warm, he's, but he's only got a nine fifteen save percentage compared to warms uh, nine fifty eight. But we're talking about a three game sample size here where even Antoine Bibo has a nine fifty seven down there. So, you know, I, I don't think any, any goalie is really going to struggle down there. Uh, I just don't think Jeremy Helvig is very good, but. Well, here's where, here's where I'm, here's where I'm at with, the goalie situation down there is obviously Alex, like you said, no team is going to give a kid an NHL contract based on a three game stint in the AHL. That's just poor asset management, you know, especially with the way Tom Dunn runs a team, like he runs the team like a business that's not going to happen. But so with Beck warm, you have a guy who's 21 still fairly young in terms of goalies and Yes, you don't know what you have in him. And sure, he might be worth an NHL entry-level deal. But at the, at the same time, this kid is still probably two, three years away from even sniffing the NHL. Most goalies don't make it to the NHL before they're 23 or 24. Sure, they can sign him and probably run with a you know tandem of warm and assuming he signs LaFontaine and maybe even Helvig if he's extended. Well, yeah, well, let's hope. But, (laughs) but it's like warm has never been bad. He's never been a bad goalie, but he's never been a fantastic goalie. And I think that this might be one of those guys. That's a really good AHL goaltender that could he might be like a Curtis McElhaney or like a, um, not a Curtis McElhaney because McElhaney was at least an NHL goalie. Uh, what was the guy's name? McIntyre. But a guy who's just a consistently good AHL goalie or at least like a decent AHL goalie. And that might be what Warm is. If he continues putting up, you know, at least like above average numbers at the AHL level. Sure, I'm down with giving this guy a prove yourself AHL deal or NHL deal of like whatever his entry level would be. I think it's about, I think, would it be two years at his age or would it still be three? I think it would be two. I think okay. it would be two. Because, yeah, he turns 22 in April. So it would be two years, I think. So if you want to give him that, sure, why not? You know, like, what do you have to lose? But at the same time, it's a low risk play that probably in all likelihood has a pretty low reward. Yeah, I'm not sure it would move the needle at all. No, and so, like, you also have to think, you've got Jack LaFontaine coming in. I don't know where he slots in the depth chart next year, 
but you also have the possibility of Kachetkov turning pro because he's tired of not getting any starts in Russia. You have the possibility of like, it's a long shot, but E2 Makinyemi coming over. Like you don't want to take away a spot from a guy that your organization values. And while warm might be good in three, four years, the hurricanes are good right now. And they need a goalie that can help them right now. And I don't think there's anybody in free agency to do that. So I think the only option for the Canes would be a trade. I don't know. And the, the goalie situation is going to be tough. And I think as we get closer to the trade deadline, we're going to see more. We're going to see the market kind of establish itself. Because a, a lot of teams, for the most part, are still competitive in their divisions. I mean, everybody's competitive in the North Division because the North Division absolutely sucks. Sorry, Alex. Play ass bonanza. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Eric Branstrom quickly for his first NHL goal tonight. That's true. I mean, like, Branstrom is a bright spot on that team. But it's that. like, you don't know what the market's going to be like. And the only teams that I can like confidently say are out of it right now, Detroit, Nashville, Neither of those teams have a goalie that I want. Probably all of the three Can- or, uh, California teams, but even then, LA is looking pretty decent. Like they're pretty close to being a competitive team again. And it's like, I'd love to get Gibson from Anaheim, but I don't think that's a deal that gets made during the trade deadline. You know, that seems like an offense or like an offseason deal. Yeah, but I don't totally. know. I, I, I just. We'll have to reevaluate in a couple weeks when the market kind of establishes itself. But I do think the Canes will at least make one move at the deadline. I think it's my kind of belief that they've already made their deadline acquisition in Cedric Paquette. Like they've acquired that one piece that they were missing on the fourth line. But we know the Canes that they're going to try and improve. So it'll be interesting to keep up with. Yeah, another another kind of interesting situation to keep an eye on is in Arizona where they have uh, both Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta scheduled to be uh, unrestricted free agents this summer. Could they make a move there? It's possible. Ranta has only started three games this year, 15 for Kemper. Kemper's rocking a 915 save percentage in Ranta. I mean, you can't really tell from a three-game sample size, but there, there, there could be an available option there. And I do think Kemper would probably be an upgrade to what they have now. He was fantastic last year. He's got a 9.15 this year in front of a pretty weak Coyotes team. But it's going to come down to what they want for him or if they'd like to re-sign him. I don't, I don't know if they'll be doing that. You, know, you never really know what's going on in Arizona nowadays. But I, I think that's think an, they that, know what's going on. Exactly. Really, that, that, that's an interesting situation just to monitor because there's a couple good options there as well. Yeah, you don't expect Arizona to really pay people. Kemper's the guy that I've circled all along. I've been saying this on Twitter for months now, really, since this um, offseason. That is definitely the guy that if I were Don Waddell, I'd be on the horn trying to get after quite a bit. You know, Ronta doesn't have any value. They're perennially in a rebuild. So, I don't know, give him a couple picks, a young player or two, and see if you can – and while you're at it, try to pry Connor Garland out of there. Oh, what a player. What a player. Uh, what a fit he you would said be. this the other day, Brandon. That would make my pants tighter. <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing we haven't talked about, we've talked about the defense. We've talked about the goaltending. There's obviously one other real position on the team, and that's at forward. 
And one forward that I know has stood out to a lot of Canes fans this year is Martin Natchez. And his growth pretty much in every aspect possible. And Brandon, I'm going to let you talk about this for a little bit because you've been like chomping at the bit here trying to get to talk about Natchez for a couple weeks now. So I'm just going to let you have it. Go at it. This is your moment, bud. This is your moment. (laughs) This is your hero moment. Lower is yours. I love how we set each other up for these. Like every single It's just beautiful. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've mentioned him every single time we've gotten together for this. And he just keeps doing things that draw my attention. I mean, anybody that's watching the games can see that he has, he's substantially more noticeable on a shift by shift basis this year than last. And he's doing it all over the ice. It's, you know, one of the best parts about being a Hurricanes fan is having Rob Brendan Moore as the head coach and watching these young offense oriented players just take tremendous leaps forward defensively. Mm-hmm. Aho has grown by leaps and bounds on the defensive side of the puck. Sveshnikov this year has been fantastic defensively. And now Martin Nietzsche, a guy who was probably a liability, like legitimate liability last year is playing on a, on the penalty kill and doing an excellent job. And you know, it's not just the defensive side of the game. He is immensely confident with the puck on his stick right now. You can see it when he's out there. He's getting to the interior of the ice. He's making plays everywhere. I, it's it's a pretty large surprise to me that he only has 11 points in 14 games, if I'm being totally honest, and two goals. He could easily have a lot more than that, and the points will come. He's just got to keep playing the way he is. But I think he's taken that second-year leap and is really starting to look like a bright bright piece of this hockey team moving forward yeah well what's impressive to me as well is you know how well he's seeing the ice now you can tell he's just kind of calmed down settled down in the NHL where you know he's really anticipating stuff offensively he's making great reads he's seeing things through the seams and you know obviously offensively he's just he he's got world-class talent there the biggest thing for me about Natchez is the one thing that concerns me is how much contact he takes He's already had a concussion this year, and I think it was against Tampa. He took a big hit from behind and in, into the corner. That was garbage hit. It, it was a it was a brutal it was mad. a brutal hit. But you know he's small and he he goes to the areas where you're gonna take a lot of contact. We saw it in the playoffs last year against Boston. I mean, just their physical presence just kind of took him out of that series as a whole. I it, it's hard to tell a guy, you know you got to make plays where you're not really going to take as much contact and won't, won't be, you know, you can't really put yourself in a position to get your, to, to get like, I just, it's just, it's really hard to dictate how to get him to take less contact, but that is pretty concerning for me because he's a small guy. And when he's taking contact, he's not as effective and I'm a little concerned he's on the smaller side. So, you know, you don't want him taking that many hits, especially the ones he's been taking this year. He's already been concussed. So uh, that's just, that's the only real concern I have with him right now. So that's actually something I talked about in my piece, shameless plug time. I wrote a Jameson prospect profile. <laughs> I wrote that Jameson Reese prospect profile today. If you haven't checked it out, go do it. It's on cardiac cane on my Twitter page at BW Stanley 26. Um, Reese is five foot 10, 182 pounds. And 
I mean, there's just no way in hell you're telling him to change his style of play. That is like so much about what makes Jamison Reese the player he is, is that physical edge and the in-your-face style. Nietzsche's, that's that goes hand-in-hand hand with the leap he's taken this year to me is how willing he is to go to those dirty areas. But you're right. He needs to learn how to not take so many hits. He needs to keep his head up. He needs to not be – he needs to not yeah. Jeff Skinner. It, but, I mean right. – That's something that, that will come with time. You know, that's a, that's a thing that you really only learn with reps and how to play against men in the NHL and how to protect yourself. And, again – He's I, not a small guy. He's, he's 6'2", and, 190. Again, yeah. He just keeps so, his head down, which makes him look smaller. Right. So, you know, like, Natchez has taken a huge step forward this year. And, yes, it has to be attributed to the amount of skill this player has. But I think a lot of it also lies in his head. He know, He's had a full season of NHL hockey under his belt. He's already one of the smartest players out on the ice whenever he's playing. And he's finally figured out how to apply that same hockey sense to the defensive side of the puck. Like, something clicked. I don't know what... But you you can physically see like a light bulb going off, you know? Yeah. And it's just he's using his elite hockey sense to make defensive plays. And that's – it's a huge step forward for the Hurricanes as a whole because you you get a player who was considered a liability on defense. All of a sudden you don't have to worry about that player and you can put him on the penalty kill. You don't have to worry about, you know, like, well, I can't play this guy in the last five minutes of, you know, like a one goal lead. You can put him out there and he'll be fine. And I think that's huge. That's going to come a long way with Rod Brindamore, especially when it comes to trust. Like Rod Brindamore is going to trust Natchez with those power play minutes late he's gonna trust him out on the ice when you know you usually see like a Svechnikov or like Aho you're gonna see Natchez out there now because he's not a liability in his own end anymore and it's well, crazy how, how that, that that changed in one season yeah how about that play the other night I think it was in the first game against Tampa the four nothing game when Tampa had a two-on-one and somehow Natchez ended up defending that by himself and he kind of just stood there like not flustered, not phased at all. And he kind of just stepped up and intercepted the pass. He was like, yeah, thanks. I'll take that and took it the other way. And it's just, it's a confidence thing too. And now he has that. And he looks like he's trusting that he's one of the most skilled players out there, which he is, you know, everybody else can see that. And I think there's definitely something to that, the confidence thing and believing in yourself. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like if I'm still like, on the fence of whether or not Natchez is a truly elite NHL player or if he'll ever be elite. But at the very least, Natchez is already a very good NHL player. And will be, especially now that he's a solid two-way forward. He's only 21, man. He's got a ton of development time. It's, I mean, there's not enough positive, there aren't enough positive things we can say about his performance this season. It's been incredible watching him blossom. And I mean, this, this is truly the start of something special for the Hurricanes because you have Svechnikov coming off of his entry level this year. Natchez comes off of it next year. Aho is 23. Vinen's 26 at the time of recording, obviously. Like, your, your team's core is so young. 
it, it's incredible how good this team is right now, given how young they are. Like this is one of the best times to be a Canes fan. I'm not gonna lie, man. It's another thing I said in my post today, man. And and, and the pipeline is just gonna keep it coming. You know, you got Damison Reese, Seth Jarvis, Ryan Suzuki, Dominic Bach, Noel Gunler. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's it's a great time to be a Canes fan, that's for damn sure. I'm obviously going to take some time to talk about the pipeline because this is all I do. All I do is keep up with the prospects. And, like, for the most part, the Canes don't have a single prospect that is playing poorly right now. They have a lot of prospects that aren't playing. <clears throat> Billy Rassinen. <coughs> Not a Canes prospect. Get out of here. I mean, he technically is, but I haven't counted him as a Canes prospect since maybe 2018. Same Gregory Hoffman. Well, up until a couple of weeks ago. Anyway. Yeah, he was the yeah he was in the same kind of like oh yeah the Canes had his rights as Gregory Hoffman was, which yeah. by the way that seventh round pick is going to be the next Johnny Goodrow, and I'm going to lie, or I'm, it'll be the next Billy Rossinen. But I'm hey, listen, shut up, <laughs> shut up. Uh, take another passion type, have him come over and score like thirty goals in his first season. Oh God, how beautiful! Just the Rossinen, the Rossinen slander from you, Matt, is just you've taken it too far. <laughs> <laughs> but so the only prospects that the Canes actually don't have playing right now are Massimo Rizzo, because uh, the BCHL shut down completely, and Ronan Seeley, who actually will be playing pretty soon because the WHL is getting ready to start up. Um, but he's on a U- he's on a USA team, isn't he? So he won't get started until uh, the middle of March. So most of the prospects in the system are playing right now. Um, and again, like I said, there's a ton of really good performances. I know for a fact that Lucas Mercury has looked really good lately. Um, just in terms of confidence and yes, it's the USHL. The USHL isn't the best league, but it's still kind of one of those players that's taken the David Cotton route of playing prep school, going to the USHL, and then going to a really good university after getting that extra year of development. So, well, yeah, he'll have all the time in the world to develop. And it's something to keep an eye on because he he is a center, but he's a smart player, and he's a primary point machine. Yeah, and he's big. And he, yeah, he's, he is big. He's, he's, he's listed here at the six foot four, two hundred five, as an eighteen year old. So, and he doesn't seem like he he's he measurable. Skates pretty well for his size too. Like, there's just his skating is okay. I'm the USHL impressed. is inconsistent with like how good the players are. Yeah, yeah. and so I think. The fact that he's so tall means that his skating sometimes gets a little uh, over value, or maybe he just looks faster than he really is. But the point is, it's like even if he's just like an average skater right now, in four years from now, he's going to be a better skater. Yeah, that's just a fact. And so, like, that's something to keep an eye on. I was like, this is a player who I'm still not quite sure if he has like what it takes at the NHL level yet, just because you know what, like this is a 19 or 18, 19 year old player playing in the USHL. It's early returns are promising, you know? Absolutely. And even if if you go to like Blake Murray, this is a player who's in a contract year. If the Canes don't sign him, he becomes a free agent. 11 games in Sweden's third tier league, 17 points. It's not a bad total. And I mean, Murray for what it's worth has looked like a confident player, since he was drafted by the Hurricanes. He's consistently improved, and this is a player that 
I'm still on the fence if the Canes will give him a contract, but like you can't deny that he might be a really good complimentary scorer someday on like your third line. Well, how yeah. how would how would you compare the Swedish uh, third tier to you know the OHL? I guess in terms of competition, because last year in the OHL no he had he had 35 goals in the OHL last year, 63 points. Mind you, he was playing with Quentin Byfield, but um, six so goals in 11 games Byfield this year. I think he was with Byfield uh, for a lot of part of the year he was, and I think they took him off and put him on the second line. If Corey I'm Stillman liked to balance out his scoring lines. Um, yeah. Really kind of depended on the night. Like, it depended on how he was feeling. But, like, you asked how would I compare this league. I have no clue. Anybody who's telling me that they know about the Swedish third-tier league that isn't from <laughs> Sweden is a fraud. <laughs> Even if you're from Sweden, I don't know if I'm trusting you on that. Like, well... It's just like he's playing against men right now, which is something that like he wouldn't be doing in the OHL. So the fact that he's playing well against guys who are obviously a little more physically mature than OHL players, that's a positive. But I could not tell you a damn thing about the <laughs> hockey aton, I think is how you say it. I couldn't tell you a single well, thing about he, that. Here, here's what I'll say about Murray. Um, just from a quick look at his profile here, he's six foot two, 190 pounds. Uh, based on what I've seen in his OHL career, he can play both the center and the wing. And he is a two-time 30-goal scorer in that league. So this is obviously a pretty talented kid we're talking about here. He's had some some questions about his overall effort level. And, you know, at times he can kind of disappear in the game. So he's definitely got to get his consistency right. But, I mean, I think this is a guy that's definitely worth, you know, at least banking on taking a chance on for an entry-level deal, you know, worst case. He just doesn't amount to anything in the AHL and you move on from him after three years. But I, I definitely think this is a guy that you want to get in your AHL system. You want to let, you know, your scouts and your development guys work with him to improve his game. Because especially as a sixth round pick, there's a lot of upside for this player. Well, but- for sure. Like Murray. All right. Let's, let's take it back for just a second. In the 2017, I believe. 2017, I think OHL priority selection. He was the seventh overall pick. Yep, he was. He's just always been a super talented kid. He's kind of like Nick Waugh. You know, years ago he was the number one selection in the QMJHL, and it just took a little longer to come along. Yeah, you know, and prospect development isn't linear, so you never really know. The kid, no, the kid has skill. He knows how to score goals. Pretty yeah, big I mean, he's, a, he's got a great shot, and he just has a yeah. nose for the net. Like, he, he's Absolutely. a sniper and a finisher. Like, he, he's capable of putting pucks in the net via a great shot and just being in the right place at the right time. When the Canes got him in the sixth round, I was ecstatic. Oh, me too. And I hated Blake Murray in his draft year for a good <laughs> half of the season. I, I've said this every time I've written about Murray. I could not stand Blake Murray as a player for the first half of the year just because I didn't know which Blake Murray I'd be getting each shift yeah and then definitely about, goes about back to the overall consistency issue but then you get maturity. to about january or february of his draft year and you start to see him establish more of that consistency then the points start coming then you start seeing him getting a little more responsibility and then you're like oh this is the type of player that murray can be if he establishes that consistency last season, yes, he was still inconsistent, but it was no longer on a shift by shift basis. I wouldn't even say it was like a game by game basis. It was like every like three or four games, he'd have like one bad game, you know? 
And that's going to happen with a young player. And Murray, like, if the Canes are willing to wait about three-ish years for him to really establish himself as a good AHL scorer, then I think that they're willing to give him an NHL contract. But I'm still not really sure if they're going to commit that. And maybe they start him on the wing with all the center depth we have. You know, you just don't know. He can play there. That's where he played last year in the OHL. So he can play both. Yeah, he's largely played on the wing from what I've seen. So it's like there haven't been too many prospects in the system this year that have really disappointed me. I mean, like even Dominic Bach has looked all right at the AHL level. Like he's struggled and I've seen like some moments where I really wish like he wouldn't be selfish with the puck. But overall, I've been happy with his performance. There's one player that I keep going back to that I'm just not happy about right now is Patrick Pistola. Canes fans, like, I know they're going to be mad at me for this because, like, admittedly, I was too high on Pistola in his draft year, and I think it kind of, I bought into the hype a little bit because I was never really, like, like, yeah, he has the offensive skill, but, like, there wasn't much else there. And Pistola this season, like, has shown that he's a really good U20 player, and he's way too good for the second-tier league. But when it comes to making that jump to the top level in Finland, just something's not clicking. He has 11 points in 36 games, which is close to, a, I think, close to a career high for him in terms of, like, the, the Liga performance. But, like, he just doesn't have – he goes stretches, and I'm talking about 10 games or so, where he doesn't make an impact on the ice and you don't notice him. And it, it, it's just raising a concern for me of whether or not this is a player that can truly take the step to the NHL. You know, like, it it worries me because, like, yes, the Canes only committed a third-round pick, but this is a prospect who was looking like a, a top player. You know, he was looking like a... He was um, looking like a steal in that range, for sure. And people called him... And people were saying that he was going to be a steal at that range. And I mean, well, like, if you remember, he was being mocked even to the Hurricanes in the first round with the pick they took Ryan Suzuki with. So the fact that he fell that far, you know, that was a pretty lauded pick by most scouts. And so he's. It obviously he's, shows a disconnect between those scouts and the actual industry interpretation of his game. Well, here's the thing he's on a terrible team. JYP is one of the worst teams um, in the Liga right now. Um, They're a very young team that doesn't have like a whole lot of offensive weapons. So when you look at it, Patrick Pistola is tied with draft eligible forward Samuel Hellenius with 11 points and he's 10th on the team. So he's tied for ninth. Which is actually behind uh, Kane's prospect defenseman, Anthony Honka. Who's labeled as a pure offensive defenseman. So that caveat in mind. Hawk is having a pretty good season, though, isn't he? 18 points in 36 games, which is half a point per game. He's one point shy of his career high of 19 in 46 games that was set last season. Yeah. Had that stat pulled out uh, in the little filing cabinet here. There you go. But Honk is doing that with averaging 17 minutes of ice time per game. Pistola has 11 points while averaging 13 minutes of ice time per game. So it's like he he's clearly only getting maybe third line minutes 
But it, it just goes to the point where I haven't seen Pustola's name pop up once in about 10 games. I just, I know JYP has struggled mightily as of late. I think they've been shut out at least a handful of times over the past month. But it's just, it's one of those things where I'm legitimately worried because he can't take control of a game yet. And while he does have two more years after this season um, in the Hurricane system, I'm starting to have those seeds of doubt planted of, what if we stole it doesn't work out or like maybe he's not the player that we thought he could be. I mean, the the signs of this kind of started coming up last year, I guess you'd say, right? Because I mean, just last year alone, he bounced between three different Liga teams. He spent 24 games with Tampere. Then he went to Ukraine for seven games and ended up with Cuckoo for another, another 14 games. And he didn't stick in any of those places because he's with another team now this year. And, I mean, with Pistola, you saw at the World Juniors in 2020, like, yes, he's a good net front presence. He can finish from in close. But his overall game leaves a lot to desire. I've always had questions with his pace. He's not a fantastic skater. He doesn't have a high gear. And defensively, he's definitely a big work in progress. You know, you combine those two things, and it's kind of hard to envision a future for him in Rod Brindamore's system, especially because if you're not defending well, He's not, Rod's not going to trust you. And the Hurricanes play very high tempo. And nothing I've seen from Pistola shows me he's got that real burst to him. So I'm just not sure how to feel about his development overall. I mean, the numbers don't look good in Finland this year. I mean, he's not on a good team. You make that point. But eventually you're going to want him to take a step. And he's actually kind of regressed from where he was last year, especially in terms of goal scoring. He scored six goals in 21 games uh, after moving from Tampere last year and kind of getting a bigger role. And this year he's got three in 36. So I'm definitely with you. I'm not super sold on his development right now. He's got time. He's still only 20, just turned 20 last month, but he's not an overly large guy either at six feet, 175 pounds at that size. You want to have a dynamic element to your game, especially, you know, if you're going to be, uh, probably fit in somewhere in the middle six as an NHL winger. I don't, I'm not sure he's a top line player, but you, you kind of want a dynamic element to your game, especially at that size. And I'm just not sure I see it with him. And here's one more thing to look at is JYP this season decided to go with a very young roster and they've got Brad Lambert on the roster. They've got Pustola. They've got Honka. They've got um, Hellenius. They are third to last in the league in terms of goal scoring with 84 goals scored. And they, have, they are dead last in the league standings, actually, with just eight wins this season in 37 games. A clearly not a good team. But again, it just goes to, well, maybe he's just a product of his environment right now. And maybe if, you know, as the players on his team develop, so will Pistola. But it still goes to show, like, you should at least start at this level to be a better player than you are, or at least you should start to be a more dominant player in this league. And he isn't yet. But well, especially with how poor their team is. I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you kind of want him to, you know, assert himself and kind of lead that team because they're not very good. Wouldn't you want him to kind of, you know, emerge as one of the leaders on that team, especially as an NHL hopeful. I mean, he's just, 
like you said, he's 10th in scoring and he's an offensive guy and they're not really relying on him for that. So it's, I mean, you kind of want this guy to emerge as a leader for, for, you know, a lower tier team like that. And he's just, he hasn't done it yet. But I mean, positively, you've got Anthony Honka with 18 points. The next highest defenseman in terms of scoring on his team has seven. So like you have Anthony Honka who is performing a lot better than Kane's fans thought he would. This is a player who, even though Pustola might be kind of lagging behind right now, I think Honka has elevated his stock. I think he's playing some of the best hockey of his career. And I've seen from other scouts saying that Honka's defensive issues, while they still are noticeable, they're not nearly as glaring as they were before. I think Scott Wheeler was talking about him um, in his pool rankings as one of the players that really impressed him this season. So again, that's just a mini rant aside. And like, I felt like I needed to talk about it because I don't know. I haven't really said anything about Priestola lately because he hasn't given me anything or any real reason to say anything about him. Yeah. The only thing I'll add, and you know what? I probably shouldn't even add it just because it's not a damn broken record. He's only 20. Yes. Prospect development is not linear. I've said it a million times. I'm not by any stretch closing the book on him yet. Uh, while I will agree, no, with no, you way guys, too early. To yeah, do. And, and it's concerning, but I, I definitely see where you guys are coming from because outside of you know, and I don't even really think he even has like the greatest shot in the world. He's, He's just, just a finisher, very smart in the offensive zone at finding soft spots and getting him to position to knock in a rebound or get a deflection. He's really crafty with that kind of stuff, and he's got really good hands. But mm-hmm. outside of that, like, what does he really bring to the table? I, well, I, this is where you 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 have to have the distinction between a sniper, like a pure sniper, and a finisher. We right. saw as a finisher, where right. like a finisher doesn't rely on his shot more so; they rely on just their ability to score goals in any situation. Whereas, like a sniper, that's Alex Ovechkin, but he combines the best of both worlds, and that's why he's the best goal scorer to ever have played in the NHL. You know, like, but yeah, I mean, if he's going to make the NHL, he's got a long ways to go and a of lot of areas to work on. If the Hurricanes can get at least two of their picks after the third round to make it to the NHL, that's a wildly successful draft. Because um, you've already got Kachikov, you've got Reese, and I think Reese is going to be one of those players that plays in the NHL. So now you just need a couple of those later round picks to make it, and then you got it. Suzuki even. You know, yeah, so like, Tiexalo looks like an emerging player as well. And I mean, he's been good lately. You looked, uh, t- um, I tweeted today, and I guess when this comes out, it would have been on Tuesday. Um, he got absolutely robbed by fellow Kane's prospect, D2 Makiniemi. And Tiexalo is just oh, a what an incredible save that was. Great hands in tight. One of those players that can just slip past the defenses unnoticed, and he's just so smart. But like Nakinyemi, it was a one to nothing game that could have easily been much better or much worse for his team. It was kind of a weird game. I had to choose whether or not I wanted him to do well or Tiexala to do well. I hate that. I just want <laughs> everybody to, mention, to have fun, man. I mean, not to mention, we did see a little different element from Tiexala today. He was actually uh, ejected from the match from. For a head-to-head tackle, as translated so, by what I will uh, say. as Carpat's uh, translated to tackle. <laughs> so a Kane plus scout, twenty minutes for head-to-head um, tackling. Vili Vili <laughs> Verta, um, and please correct me if I pronounced his name wrong. 
um, tweeted at me today. And uh, let me just read at you what he said, because it, it kind of makes me feel a little better about it. Um, because it, it, it seems like it was just kind of a dumb play. He said it was clearly an accident. His opponent was in a vulnerable position and got clipped. So oh. it sounds like, I mean, like, Tiexla, again, I think he weighs like 100 pounds and he's like 5'7". <laughs> That's not accurate, but like you get the point. He's he's listed at 5'10", 156, but yeah, I don't know if he looks He's that not good. a goon. This, this kid gets blown over by a strong gust of wind. There is no way in hell that he did that with any sort of malicious intent. So I don't think there's a mean side to his game. I just think he gets unlucky. Um, It's not necessarily like a Jamison Reese type where he just kind of like hits and then realizes like oh crap i probably shouldn't have done that which even then i haven't seen that from him yet but still it was like you saw that with reese in his draft year and even um in his draft plus one year but so it's looking like a very bright future for the hurricanes even despite you know one of our picks not performing well let's also touch here quickly on seth jarvis um looks like he's scheduled to head back to the whl soon i mean which is kind of a shame considering how good, uh, how polished she's looked with the Chicago Wolves in the AHL. He's got six goals and nine points in seven games. Uh, he's obviously a big difference maker for that team. You know, he's seeing the ice very well. Obviously, his skill is on full display. He's a great skater. He's already, he's already an established talent at the AHL level. So, yeah, it's very unfortunate that he's got to go back to the WHL. But what do you guys see? kind of his season there what do you think what do you think's in store for him there a hundred goals <laughs> in 24 uh, games in 24 <laughs> games 24 <laughs> games what can we reasonably expect from him i mean it's a very small sample obviously and is he gonna score 50 points <laughs> oh yeah i i think yeah i think i he could, could see him doing absolutely that. he was ridiculous i can't remember the exact stat line he put up because you know to start last season he was what like maybe a little under a point a game or like right around. He, he really didn't play that well. Like the first, he was like, struggling the first half of his. Yeah. Season. And then yeah, all of a really, sudden, the he second really half, rose up draft boards. Yeah. He had like 63 points in 24 games. It wasn't something like that. There was something absurd. It, it was absurd. And it, well, I mean, I guess you can make the argument that he would start kind of slow, but he's already playing in the AHL. So it's not like he's starting, you know, he, he's already gotten some games under his belt. I expect him to just absolutely dominate. I mean, maybe I'm getting my hopes up a little bit too high because of how good he's been at the AHL, but it's an obvious step down in competition and he's dominating the AHL. So it's entirely justified. And I think he has the advantage of playing hockey games, whereas the majority of his competition hasn't played since March. Yeah, that's a great point as well. But here's where I'm going to stand on a mini soapbox because we we do need to cut it down on time so i will i will make this quick the chl transfer agreement is in place for a reason and it's to keep junior clubs competitive and it's to keep butts in seats yeah ticket sales yeah like nobody's gonna want to come see a team with like middling like middle round picks and like a bunch of other not so great junior hockey players play. How much money did Ramuski make last year because Alexi Lafreniere was there? Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, I can it. tell you firsthand. I went exactly. to the game in Gatineau and it was sold out. And there like, you go. And it, and not only do these players make money for their franchises, 
but they're putting butts and seats in other places too when they come to right. visit. Totally. Exactly. That being said, it is a travesty that Seth Jarvis has to return to the WHL for 24 games this year <laughs> because he's not going to develop. Seth Jarvis is going to learn more from maybe the 10 or so AHL games that he's going to play than he would learn in like 50 WHL games. He's going to develop more in this time in the AHL more than he would ever hope to in these 24 games in the WHL. And the fact that he's being sent down isn't going to help him. He's just going to dummy this league. Yeah. Well, and to top that off, if he doesn't make the Hurricanes roster next year, he'll be back there again for a full season next year. I think that they're they're going to give him at least his nine-game tryout. You know, yeah, I think so too. I think that the the Canes, everything I've heard is that they think Seth Jarvis is going to be a star. He's not given them any reason to doubt it, have they? No, he's not. Or has he? Yeah. <laughs> and everything that Seth Jarvis has shown shows me that he's going to be a star. I think they give him his nine game tryout next year. Let him get and, that and amount of where you want to go from there. Yeah, because then you can be like, well, is it worth keeping Jarvis on this team and burning a year of his entry-level deal? Or is it worth sending him back that way you have an extra year of his entry-level deal for the future? And it's like, either way, you've got a good player on your hands. It's just so frustrating for me that Jarvis has to go back this year to the WHL because there is nothing for him in a 24-game WHL season. So over in Buffalo, we've got some controversy going on with former Hurricane star Jeff Skinner. Obviously, he's making $9 million, signed that big eight-year max extension. Today is Tuesday, and he's now been healthy scratched for the second consecutive game. He's got one assist in 14 games this year, and he's mostly been deployed on their fourth line, not even on their top power play unit. You know, it just kind of makes you think with Skinner. I mentioned this in our group chat earlier today, but who was Buffalo bidding against to give this guy a $9 million deal for eight years? If you paid him $72 million, knowing full well what his deficiencies were, knowing his limitations, and and now you've done literally everything you possibly can as an organization to go the complete opposite way of everything you'd accepted of Jeff Skinner when you gave him that deal. And the thing is, who are they bidding against? Like who in this league was, was going to compete with them for an eight year contract at $9 million per year for Jeff Skinner. Um, They out Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford. <laughs> like this is, this is the Alex Semen deal all over again, but so much worse. Twice as worse. Skinner never improved defensively and I don't think he ever acted like he wanted to improve defensively. Ralph Kruger might be a little justified in scratching Skinner and the sense is like if you don't want to play our style then we won't play you. At the same time that's nine million dollars that you're sitting on your bench or in the press box. I don't know man I don't think the Sabres know what they're doing. I love Kevin Adams. I think he's going to be a really good GM for the Sabres. They've got so much crap from the old regime that they just need to toss out. And it's going to be painful 
even more so than it has been. I mean, in 73 games since he signed that contract, he has scored 14 goals and 24 points total. Oh my God, that bad? It's that bad. <laughs> it, that That's after his, obviously, his 40-goal career year that earned him the deal. But, like, it's just, it's just shocking to me because Bu- Buffalo was literally in an auction against themselves. They just outbid <laughs> themselves. There was nobody in the league that was giving Skinner anywhere near that kind of deal. And you know what? We'll save this conversation for another day. But at 28 years old, Jeff Skinner getting that kind of that kind of term, that kind of money, it it definitely makes me worry about, you know, a Dougie Hamilton extension, especially considering he'll probably ask for a max term. I mean, most guys at that age want want that eight-year deal so that they can cash in mostly for the rest of their careers. And it has not historically gone well for a lot of these guys. But I mean, to give him that kind of a contract, man, it's just it, it's just unfathomable what Buffalo was thinking in that moment. Obviously, Jason Botterill isn't there anymore, but I mean, my God, you at least accepted that, you know, Skinner was never going to be a defensive player. He was never going to be, you know, a good two-way guy you can rely on in all situations. You paid him $72 million to score goals. And now he's sitting on your fourth line and he's up in the press box eating nachos. It's just, it's just terrible <laughs> asset management. And there, no one's trading for him. Let's be honest. So you're stuck with him until he's what thirty five years old now, and you're getting absolutely nothing from him. It's just, it's a failure for the for the Buffalo Sabers organization, absolutely. and it's a failure for Jeff Skinner as a player because he's got so much more to offer than what they're getting out of him. Well, absolutely. I will say they did just get a four to one win, and the guy that drew in for him, Rasmus Esplund, scored. Just throwing Good that out. <laughs> Good for well, him. okay, but he's the only player that Buffalo has drafted outside of the first round since 2015 that's seen a lick of NHL time. Yeah, there we talked about yeah. that the other day. Their drafting has not been good. That's but... a, that's a table side discussion that we'll have to have on like an outtakes podcast or something because <laughs> that got me heated. Uh, yeah, well, obviously Skinner's always been a guy with his limitations. I, I. <laughs> I don't want to do a victory dance because it brings me no joy to see him struggling like this, but some Sabres fans, when they made that trade and I said, good riddance, I really don't care. Oh, they were so, they were unbearable. They do. They were, you guys are trade Skinner. He's going to score a million goals. I was like, all right, I'll circle back in a few years. And I haven't had the, I haven't had the heart to go back and, you know, laugh in their faces really, but, because you mean, can't. I mean, at this point, you're just kicking somebody while they're down. Right. Absolutely. And like I said, it brings me no joy to see Skinner struggle like this. But God, I just, you know, his rookie year, man, I thought he was just the next superstar in the NHL. Everybody did. You know, everybody remembers how he burst onto the scene. 32 goals, 63 points. Um, all-star berth, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yes. Was that not the year that was in Raleigh as yep. well? Yeah, and okay. PK Subban traded. Uh, right, right, right. I remember that. Okay, I was thinking I had that right, but um, you know, it just the concussions were such a big part of that, and being afraid to go into the corners. You know how man I used to pull my hair out. He would literally just let the puck go. Yep. Like he would have possession, and it would be you know leading him a little bit, and he just let the puck drift off his stick because he saw somebody coming in to hit him. You can't play like that in the NHL, dude. Like, it's just, man. The hot streaks were great when he was scoring a million goals, you know, 10 goals in five games or whatever the crazy streaks he'd have. But 
I, you know, he just always, despite the goal totals, was a net negative player to me. Yep. Well, last thing on Jeff Skinner. I mean, I think it said a lot about how the league kind of perceived him as a player. When right. you're talking about a – when he was traded, he just turned 26, uh, a three-time 30-goal scorer at 26 years old. And, yes, he was in the last year of his contract, but he was traded for a second and a third-round pick. I'm not even going to count Cliff Poo in the deal because I don't think anybody had a hope in hell for him. Oh, and a, and a sixth rounder as well. But uh, you you basically trade a three-time 20-goal scorer right in the cusp of his prime for a second and a third round pick. That is unheard of. That's kind of the league saying, you know, he's he's a good player, but he, like, $72 million, guys. $72 million when the league, the league let him go for a second and a third round pick that shows his value right there. So uh, Buffalo definitely outbid themselves on that one. And uh, they deserve to be stuck with that contract. And Jeff Skinner is probably laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> I don't know about that, but he's probably, it's got to suck for him. He's like, we're good hockey players go to die anyway. And I, I have to bring up a tweet. I saw that it was, um, absolutely hilarious it said uh jeff skinner is living the dream i would love to make nine million dollars to not be in the buffalo sabers lineup and like it just, <laughs> just it doesn't get much better than that mm-hmm. alex yep brandon yep happy belated david Ayers day it's been a year since the hurricanes turned an emergency backup goalie's life upside down while also it's at hockey night in Canada. Just a legendary moment in both Hurricanes and Canadian history. And Toronto Maple Leafs history. <laughs> but in the worst way possible, but in the best Absolutely. way possible for everybody else. But folks, we want to thank you all for taking the time listening to these three windbags talk about hockey. As always, you can find us on Twitter at BWStanley26, at Future Canes, and at Canes Prospects. Feel free to like the podcast, rate it, whatever y'all have to do. Send us a message on Twitter. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And we are very appreciative of each and every one of you. Thank you all very much. And let's go Canes.